Hi, and welcome to The Crux, where each episode, Rob Reedy from Echoes Communications and me, Kyle Duford from The Brand Leader, talk to leaders in the outdoor and active lifestyle industries. We'll address problems and solutions that our guests have faced in their storied careers. On today's episode of The Crux, Rob and I welcome Tony DeBoom, founder and creative director of Endurance Conspiracy, a t-shirt company out of Boulder, Colorado, born out of his days of being a professional triathlete. Anybody who's an entrepreneur has probably had several cruxes. The first one being probably reinventing myself after careers as a professional triathlete. Well, today our guest is Tony DeBoom. I'm a big fan of this guy, longtime friend, just discussing it's been, gosh, 20 years. Tony's been uh, all over the place. West Point grad, trained with the Special Forces, was an Army Ranger for a bit, jumped to triathlon where he joined his brother Tim DeBoom. He won St. Anthony's Triathlon. He won Ironman Utah. I was there that year with you. You came in second to your brother Ironman California, and I think one of the most remarkable feats was just a few weeks after Kona one year, you came back and took second and just scorched the field at Ironman Florida. Gosh, since then, he has directed Try Dubai, and he eventually landed at a bunch of different places before starting and launching the Endurance Conspiracy, where he draws and illustrates t-shirts. You can buy them at enduranceconspiracy.com. Gosh, it just goes on and on. He has done freelance designs and work for Pearl Izumi, Zip Speed Weaponry, Infinite Nutrition, Cervelo, Backcountry Film Festival, Cinelli, Jordana, The North Face, Campagnolo. You can go on and on and on. It is just so fun to welcome an old friend to the crux, and that is Tony DeBoom. Tony, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm going to have you write my uh, epitaph. That was almost accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what did we miss? What did we get wrong? No, no, it was... You're just the best version of the story. I can't claim I was special forces. I attended the ranger school, so I never want to do any stolen valor stuff like that. But you're pretty spot on. So all good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're joined as always with Rob Reedy from Echoes Communication as my co-host. And today we're just going to delve a little bit into, a lot into hopefully, how you became the creative director of Endurance Conspiracy, how you made it in Boulder, Colorado. You moved the whole operation to Seattle and just really your whole story, it's got a great one to tell. So I want to start off by just understanding that background, where you've been, what you've done, how on earth did you get to where you are today? Can you just run us through your history a little bit? I have to give you a 30,000 foot view. Spent a better part of, of my adult life as an athlete after my military. I graduated from West Point, did my uh, years in the military service. And when I got out, I joined my brother, Tim, who's pretty well known in the endurance sports world himself. And he and I kind of traveled the world for the better part of over a decade, decade and a half as professional triathletes. We both got married and met our wives on on the race course. And my wife and I were expecting our first child. That was kind of the end for me. I I just couldn't see myself traveling solo like that anymore, or or just being as greedy with my time as you can be. You know, uh, the triathlete lifestyle is, it can be pretty selfish. So once I did that, I needed to, one of the hardest things I've had to experience is trying to reinvent myself. The typical pro triathlete starts a, a coaching business, which I did with my brother. I went back and coached at my alma mater at West Point for um, nearly seven years. We uh, had multiple national titles. And so we did pretty well. 
that again, it was travel every month. I was traveling from Boulder back to West Point and around the country with my uh, team going to events and uh, racing. And all while that was going on, running my tribe business, coaching business, I had gotten more and more into drawing. And I'd always been a drawer. My brothers and I as kids had always entered drawing contests and been very creative. But it was nothing I'd ever even considered doing for a job. It was just purely for fun. And my wife was in design school while I was coaching. She started showing me on the computer how to take my drawings, put them onto the earliest version of Illustrator and that kind of thing. And and that's kind of where it all started. In, uh, geez, 2009, maybe, we or eight, my brother was racing the Hawaiian Ironman. I was retired. And one of his title sponsors was Red Bull. And Red Bull had never had a huge presence at the Ironman other than, than uh, sponsoring athletes. And so I kind of approached them and said, you guys need to have this Red Bull house that you have at the surfing events and the skiing events. And, and they thought that was a great idea. And they said, well, why don't you tackle that for us? And so all of a sudden, I was kind of a party planner. Next thing you know, I'm telling Red Bull they need to have the biggest beach house on Kona. They were sending me all this support, you know, and people and product and, and money. And I was contacting everybody I knew to be part of it. And so we had Patagonia was there and Inside Tri was there and a few other friends, Toshi Corbett from Giro, who, you know, at the time who was carved Tim's helmets for him personally, the same guy that carved uh, Lance Armstrong's helmets to fit him onto his head perfectly. And so it was a very fun group of guys. And we put this big Red Bull party together. And, and in the middle of it, all these companies, Patagonia and and uh, inside try, they're all saying, hey, we need to commemorate this with t-shirts or something. And I said, well, don't worry about that. I got it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I'm like, okay, I got this. You're telling Red Bull and Patagonia, you I got, got it. it. T-shirts, no problem. All right. So I went home and started flipping through all my stacks of papers and drawings and stuff. And that's when my wife, Eliza kind of said, well, let me, let me see what I can do. And she took my art and transferred it onto the, you know, onto the computers to make it printable for t-shirts. And that's really where it all started. And all of a sudden we had these one-off t-shirts that were printed and everybody loved them. And, and all of a sudden people started asking for more. And I had a couple of requests for companies saying, Hey, can you make something for us? And all of a sudden my coaching business that we were, that it was newly launched. I had a side hustle as we call it doing t-shirt designs. And within a year, endurance conspiracy was, was launched. That's insane. So what, what was that? 2009? Yeah, 2009 is when that all kind of happened. So it was, yeah, it was just kind of crazy. But it was, in the beginning, it was just really, it's still word of mouth. It's grown a lot just from, I mean, I got a call uh, last night from a word of mouth say, asking me for a custom job, which is a huge part of our business now, still. Coming from a brand side of things, I mean, you you definitely have carved out a niche for yourself and, and what you do. You have a very distinct style. You don't really take other artists on. It's really just Endurance Conspiracy is you and Eliza. Yeah. Where did the name come from? What does it mean to you? Is there a story there? You no, know, I don't really know. The best thing I could say is, and this will lead into another story. I play guitar. I'm a, I'm a music fan, like most people. And if you play acoustic guitar, you, you've probably heard of Jack Johnson. Early on in his career, they had launched kind of a, a surf film business, and it was called Moonshine Conspiracies. And I always liked the name of that. So I can't say that that it totally came from that, but I, cause I don't remember the exact moment I endurance conspiracy came to me, but 
I'd be crazy to think that that didn't influence my thought process, which leads into my relationship with Brushfire and, and those guys. So, which again, early on and when EC was just, just kind of launching, I was kind of still kind of just drawing to draw. I still do, but I was just drawn, having fun. And there was a contest that uh, Brushfire Records was having for Jack's next album, his To The Sea uh, album and tour. And I drew a couple of drawings and sent them in with a chance. You could win tour poster. You could win design for the t-shirt. And they liked my design so much that I won the whole, they just said, we want to use it for everything. And so all of a sudden I'm, I was actually on a bike ride, left-hand Canyon, bombing down the Canyon, which you never have service. But as I'm exiting the Canyon and turning on to 36, this was, God, I probably had a cell phone for a couple of years at that point, but my phone starts dinging like crazy but I was getting all these messages and I'm like, all right, what's going on? So I literally pulled over on the side of the road thinking maybe it was an emergency with our first daughter or something. And there were all these messages from Brushfire saying, you know, we want to talk to you about your design and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, at this point, I still have a relationship with Brushfire and I've done multiple projects with Jack and ALO and, and Matt Costa and the bunch. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun having my foot in the music door. So That's insane. And you just yeah. say you just say Jack like yeah no big deal. Uh, no, we're not with Jack a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some cool moments. I've even got a video of one of my favorites when the floods hit on um, Boulder in 2012, and Jack was on tour, and I reached out. I'm pretty good friends with the AL, Animal Liberation Orchestra, a band that tours a lot with Jack, and their piano player Zach Gills plays piano for Jack's band as well. And I reached out to Zach and said, "Hey, I'm doing a T-shirt to raise money for the flood victims." And I know you guys are going to be playing in Denver. Any chance you guys want to, I don't know, just somehow promote it or something to to help out. And Jack's publicist called me later that day or the next day and said, we want to get together and we want to do something with you. And, and that ended up being Jack wearing our shirts for the rest of the tour and giving Jack and the band a tour around Boulder, showing them where the flood had damaged everything and selling the t-shirts at the show. And so it was just just kind of cool moments like that. But seeing Jack sing one of my favorite songs on stage while wearing an EC t-shirt was a pretty, pretty good moment. So, yeah. Sony, I think it's phenomenal. I think up, up to this point of, of the story, think about the connections you've made, right? Because you identified a need of the culturally in Kona and brought in Red Bull. Yeah. Which is really the embryo of the sport and culture. And I know from other houses that how important and relevant that is and then you fast track that to the brush and to jack and what you just told us like that alone is enough credibility to move forward you know what i mean but i think the conspiracy to your point it was such like a mystic thing to me the first time i heard it and what it it meant and specifically from what i know of you from from just the internet i love first of all the motto, the fit shall inherit the earth. Hmm, yeah. That alone is so powerful. And then you brought me more in deeper when I went to the about and kind of got to know you. For me, I'm like, you make stuff for people that enjoy getting outside and who line up to do battle on the weekends. That to me was the coolest thing because everyone can, it's like a symbol. Weekend warriors, people do go to battle. So everything you're building from your past of your cultural connections of brands and then to the people that are, are attracted to those, I think is the beautiful essence of the conspiracy. And I'll take it a step further that you really don't know the euphoric high we're expressing in art. 
I guess you could say that's a conspiracy I read that you've mentioned in the past. Yeah, it's, you know, I've probably been asked probably every time we've done an interview is about the name. The name from a, uh, and Kyle, you might be able to appreciate this because I know you've done some logo design and stuff. But when you have two very long words like endurance and conspiracy, it's it makes it hard to get creative sometimes because you're like, God, that's it's hard to fit that on on product and all that stuff. But the name definitely it's one of the favorite things about the company still. People still just will write us and, you know, even if it's like, a, hey, I got the wrong shirt or I got, the, you know, I need to change sizes. It's just somebody, they're like, but I love your company and love the name and definitely it's stood the, the test of time so far. So, And it symbolizes, but not only for the endurance, endorphin, rich alpha, yeah, but you're able to kind of embrace a larger group of people who aspire to be right whether you're a three mile run guy like me at every day or a 30 we still are in the same frequency of the culture and sport and lifestyle and i think that's what i admire what you're doing yeah it's an inclusive group you know it's just everybody who's out there trying their best every day regardless of we never wanted it to be just the winners standing on the podium wearing our stuff. We wanted it to be the people in the crowd who can, you know, are aspiring to be that person or, or trying to be, you know, their best to be the best version of them. It's tried to be always an inclusive group. That's interesting because coming from triathlon, which I think it's such an individual sport in the sense that it, it's not very welcoming to outsiders, especially when you and I were involved in the sport, when you have a lot of people eyeing you for how fit you look how much your bike costs and so forth. And here you are kind of doing a 180. And I love the word inclusive that you use because it, it really is, you're providing this opportunity for everyone to appropriate themselves to a sport where they might even just admire. You do a lot of spring classic t-shirts for, for cycling. Oh, yeah. uh, you guys are big in the Tour de France and other things. And, and even some of the brands we mentioned up, up front about that you've worked with, it really is kind of spreading the love, it, not to be kitschy, but it's kind of beautiful. Well, we, we try not to take ourselves too seriously from a, from a design standpoint. We try to have fun. We don't mind making fun of ourselves. And we, one of our most popular triathlon shirts was when we just put try yuppie scum on a shirt. And I don't do many just text driven shirts. I like to, you know, have a little bit more uh, creative design to it. But sometimes I try to connect genres. I do a lot of sci-fi and rock and roll uh, meets cycling somehow type designs. And but try yuppie scum. That's where, you know, some of these people who they're like, yeah, I am a yuppie and, and I love triathlon and we'll sell piles of those shirts at a time. I want not only one for me, but for my whole, all my friends. So, and also Tony, that lends itself to the person who's buying that comes into your brand. And like me, like I'm already brought in by the copy and kind of your vision, your past. And now I buy a shirt, try yuppie scum. But then I look at others and then I'm like, I think one stood out to me was Clyde, the Courage suitcase. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's really, really cool. Like, I could see my daughter wearing that because it symbolizes. But my point is that you're bringing someone in and you're delivering and you're offering a wide variety that speaks to yeah. their identity and culture and their belief in an outdoor active lifestyle. Yeah, we definitely have a uh, a broad range of offerings. But Another part of the inclusive is is when you look at these sports like cycling and triathlon, I mean, it's pretty expensive. Like today, I could not afford, when I entered the sport, I was 24 and cost everything I had to get a bike and still to go to those races. And now it's just tenfold. It's just 
It's a very expensive sport. I wouldn't be able to afford it as a kid now. And so I definitely wanted to sell product that everybody could afford. I haven't raised the prices of my product since we launched. Um, wow. We've always done $35 t-shirts and they're still 35 online. But if you go to an event, not that there's been many events you know, in the last year, but if you go to an event, we've always sold $20 t-shirts and we have no plans on changing that. But it's always been in a world where it costs a couple hundred bucks now for a cycling jersey or you got to take a small car loan out to buy a bike. You know, We wanted to right. be something that everybody could go home with at an event or wear and represent their sport without breaking the bank. So if you look at the model there, the sports that the normal person participates in cycling, let's just say bound, maybe you're a hundred day a year or road, 150, if you commute, maybe more ski 50, all these things. So, or less, but yet you can carry that culture, the spirit of your sport along with you. And that's the power of t-shirts. Totally. Yeah. T-shirts are, I don't know. It was the one thing I've always worn. And I think everybody has a pile of t-shirts at their house and it's, it's something that you wear, you can work out in it, you can wear it to the bars after a workout or the coffee shop or whatever. And so it's just that one item in your closet that everybody wears. It's kind of a uniform in some sense. It's I'm looking at your shirts right now. I'm loving tequila tonight, tomorrow we ride. Always loved hyperspace, you know, your Star Wars guys here riding. I mean, you've got some classics, fit and vicious, obviously. People love the wheel sucker shirt. I mean, so many have been have become iconic. You know, I see them here in Greenville, South Carolina. We definitely see them in Boulder when we're there. Rob, I'm sure you've seen them out in California. It almost feels like you've gone to a concert one night and the next day you're wearing the concert tee. It's an identifying mark that one, you get the joke, you get the inside joke. Two, you're kind of poking fun at yourself too. You said you don't take yourself too seriously, but the athletes are kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm just trying to get some miles in this weekend. But it's still around this identifying factor that I am an athlete. Yeah. Originally, I wanted them all to have some sort of movement in them or assumed movement. Another big part, when we launched, we were part of 100% for the planet or 1% for the planet and everything was organic. And that got to be the point where it just didn't make sense anymore to be organic when you were, when you really think about the logistics of it all and, and you're transporting cotton from India all the way here. By the time it gets here, you've kind of negated any real benefit from the organics. Now we're 100% made in America. I forget my point why I was saying all this, but we've tried to do our best to create products that something for everyone. We have a pretty wide range of varieties, definitely poking fun at people. Sometimes, you know, a little bit more for the hardcore athletes who like to just kind of walk around and, and kind of flex and look good in their stuff. And And you don't have to be an athlete to appreciate the shirts. I mean, there's some designs which are while there's a tie to cycling or athletics somehow, I mean, you could still enjoy the design and wear it for that sake. You know, and that speaks to, I mean, we've been carried in urban outfitters and big brands around the country. So it seems like people like our product, you know, even if you're not in on the joke, which is part of our conspiracy is you're kind of in on, you know, a lot of these shirts don't make sense unless you're a cyclist, you know, so you're kind of in on it. But a lot of people don't care if they're in on it. They just like the design and want to wear it. So... Yeah, and I think that's part of the, the identification or, or the journey to their brand because Urban Outfitters, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, they were like the t-shirt epicenter. You walk in yeah. and just the wall was there. And that was kind yeah. of a way for general people can walk in and get turned on to it. But now you're looking at the digital age, brick and mortars, dispersed yeah. a bit. So people need to find a brand like yours. 
through cultural relevant events, right? How do you find that the process has been through EC so far? It has changed dramatically. When we started out, we always had, I guess you'd call multiple revenue streams. We started out, we launched very early online and that was kind of a feeler, like, let's see if this works, as well as we showed up at a couple of uh, local events, triathlon events where we were well-known. My brother, Tim, who's a, a Hawaiian Ironman world champion, and Peter Reed, who's a three-time Ironman world champion from Canada, they were both early investors in EC. So it was kind of the three of us, along with my wife, who played a very huge role in it. But it was us kind of launching it. And behind name recognition, we were able to immediately get eyes on us at some of these local events. And that's kind of where a groundswell started. Shortly after that is when I linked up with Brushfire Records and Jack's album went to number one. And all of a sudden, you know, you're doing art for the number one artist in the country. And it kind of swelled from there. And all of a sudden, we're attending some of the big trade shows and selling to wholesale, which became a huge part of our business early on. And that was successful until, honestly, I could tell you the exact date, 2014, when it just kind of dried up. So the wholesale kind of just dropped significantly. Like we lost half of our shops within a year and just economy and stuff. And so we started doing more events, more and more events. and. We've always been able to to kind of pivot as necessary, and but we went from doing you know a handful of events a year to upwards of thirty plus worldwide. We were going to shows in Munich and and Europe and Hawaii, obviously, and kind of traveling a lot. Big events, you know, like Challenge Roth is basically the Ironman World Championships of Europe, and we'd go there, and and it was huge week of business for us. And same with Ironman Hawaii, it's a huge week of business and the sea otter cycling event. So we kind of all of a sudden became pivoted. For, those were our big sales instead of the wholesale. And then that kind of got to a point where it was almost unsustainable just from the point of if you go to say, uh, if you go to Challenger Off, well, that's a bad example. But if you go to an event and it's just rainy the whole time or something happens, then you can't bank on having the sales. So that kind of slowed down. And the other side of that is also it just kind of wears on you. You know, yeah. you're living out of a suitcase. And it's as you have, and I now have three daughters. So all of a sudden you're either spending the bulk of your time on the road or you're looking to make a change. And we had employees that did a lot of it too, but no one sells quite as hard as you do. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask you, Tony. How do you, how do you find you're able to balance being a, a father to three girls, being a great husband and being a business owner on top of being the sole creative director and the illustrator <laughs> for all your products. I mean, how do you find a balance? Well, when we go to a lot of events and, and it was a family affair, one of our favorite events, well, it hasn't happened in a little while now, is the Wildflower Triathlon in California. It was a, whatever, 10,000 uh, athletes camping around around a lake in California for a you know a long weekend and we bring the kids of triathlon oh yeah it was awesome and yeah you'd have bands and college kids were all the support for the event but we'd bring our kids and we'd camp out along with other vendors there and we'd all it was almost a big reunion every year we'd all get together and we'd sell goods all day and and camp and do the kids stuff all the evening and so my kids very much have grown up around it they've Besides being uh, amazing little kids and swimmers, they're also artists. In fact, my oldest, 
proud daddy moment. It's she's got a piece of art right now hanging in the Seattle Art Museum. No. For uh, yeah, talk about winning contests. She's one of twelve kids to be part of a this art project they had in in Seattle, and so it's just amazing to go and down the hall is a is a war hall, but in this room yeah. is, my, is my daughter's art. So they're very much uh, very artistic, just like I was with my brothers. Now I'm with my kids, and we lay around and we we draw and doodle, and and I have a very understanding wife tolerant wife. Well, yeah. And if I remember though, she's always, she's always by your side, which is awesome. And you guys do a lot of things together, which is fantastic. You kind of brought us up to speed to where you were at events, trying to be home for a bit. And you were talking around 2014, 2015 ish. We call this thing the crux for a reason. And that's because we find Rob and I through the course of the brands we work with and we consult with that it seems like everyone at some point has some sort of seemingly insurmountable problem called a crux when you're rock climbing or when you're bouldering. What was your crux in your career up to this point? I mean, have you had one? It sounds like you maybe had a hit a few bumps in the road. Yeah. And what did you do to solve that? How did you get out of it? Well, I think anybody who's an entrepreneur has probably had several cruxes. The first one being probably reinventing myself after career as a professional triathlete. But in 2014, when the wholesale market kind of was showing us the door, we had to figure out our next pivot, which became, okay, let's, let's add on more events. And you're trying to figure out how to replace revenue and how to keep, not really keep the lights on, but just keep the momentum going. Being a small company, but with, uh, you know, I would say we were small, but well-connected. In our world, in our little world of cycling and, you know, our little niche side of uh, the outdoors industry, we were, we were pretty well-known. And so we kind of made a few pivots. None of them were easy. Some of them were just some things that were waiting for us that we finally were ready to take advantage of or to or to act on. But you know, the biggest problem, I guess, is when you're big enough that you feel you need to expand, but you're small enough that it's like that really risky step. I guess in climbing, it would be that okay, what's that? It's that risky move. You know, you got to make it, but you don't know if you can make the reach. And for us, you know, when wholesale is drying up, all right. We can do more events, which is hard on family life. It's hard on the business because you have a lot of added costs with travel and hotels and cars and and making product for events and employees and all that. So even if you go to the biggest event in the world, the goal is always to break even. And it's they become more like marketing events because you're not sure you're going to make money as much as you're going to make a lot of new fans and hope they are return customers. So shortly around 2014-15, we opened a brick-and-mortar store in downtown Boulder. One of our goals was always to kind of have a, a home center where all our fans, and we definitely had a lot of fans in the Boulder, and, and a lot of triathletes and cyclists consider Boulder the, the mecca of endurance sports. And we put a shop right on Pearl Street, right downtown Boulder. That was a really good move because it, we got a lot of passerby traffic, people able to come in and experience us for the first time. Again, we always want to keep that kind of that loose and casual lifestyle type feeling. So we'd have musicians in there playing and we'd have events at our store. It was small, but we still had made it a lot of fun. And then the other thing besides opening the brick and mortar is we'd always been asked to do a lot of custom work. And every once in a while, I'd do a project if it was really good fit. But I started embracing that. And when I went to events, when we still went to events, be it a sporting event or a trade show, I started accepting these offers and 
So next thing you know, I'm doing art for, I did an entire line for the North Face and you're doing art for um, some of these bigger brands around the country and the world that you, that I just said, well, they're at conflicts with what EC's doing. I, I can't compete against myself, but for the sake of continuing with the brand and building it, I started doing that. And now the custom side of EC, it's 50% of the business. Wow. Yeah. It's funny when eventually it got to this, the point, every business on Pearl Street in downtown Boulder, kind of the, uh, I guess the normal standard operating procedure for Boulder is it's very rare when a company re, uh, renews their lease on Pearl Street. It's very expensive. And I don't live there anymore. But my brother told me, he's like, yeah, Pearl Zumi, or I mean, not Pearl Zumi, yeah, Patagonia has moved off the bricks, the walking part of, you know, Starbucks just pulled out. But when I was there, Gap had just pulled out and we were clinging to our little shop. And it just got to the point where it was taking all of our time and it was a break-even business. And so we, as much as we loved it, we shuttered the doors. And part of the, the family agreement was, was I had always promised my wife that who's from the Seattle area that we would experience living in the Pacific Northwest. And so we did that. And now, of course, I'm in Seattle and looking at shops, <laughs> to, to, always looking at shops, but to at least have a pop-up shop here and there. But the designing side of EC is flourished up here where now I'm doing design work for Microsoft and Netflix and some of these even bigger type companies outside the outdoors industry and things are good again. Tony, I think it's remarkable. And for me, like I said, I, I think there's many, many, many people that have my perception of the brand that you are community and everything you've done in your career at VC has been about the people and the culture. And that's what makes it special as opposed to an agnostic screener that's just trying to, to make a shirt to push it out. You've invested everything you have into the culture that you love, live, and kind of represent. So I commend that. I think that the mentality you've had through Boulder, which is so alpha. I've been there and I have a shop on pearls as well. So I can test to that. Yeah. But everything is on your left mentality in Boulder, but in a good way. And I think that your brain is embracing that from everything you've done on the endurance, passion outdoor into what you bring. So I commend that. And I do think that you've hit that kind of perfect balance of the digital and physical of your business model. And I think that's rewarding because at the end of the day, you're about building community at this top level. You do that by a series of activations through digital or physical. And what I think the special point about this is that your customers are repeat. People are loving what you're making. They love what it symbolizes and who they identify with. I think you're far beyond any other t-shirt manufacturer because you're not just a screener. You're so much deeper. I appreciate that. I mean, we're still small. We try to maintain that small personal I mean, I, I still look at daily sales on a regular basis. And if somebody who's, and we have people that consistently buy tons of product from us all the time. And I write them personal notes and communicate with them. If they have an issue, you know, I try to handle a lot of the communication myself just because I've had relationships with them. I know, or I know the personal touch is becoming less and less in, in this digital age. It's real easy just to get a, talk to a computer on the phone nowadays or get a, a standard re- email response. And so I try to, be anything but standard. And that seems to seems to work. <laughs> it's absolutely working. Well, Tony, I guess the question for me is what's next for EC? As you continue to carry the torch of the people that you serve, where do you see the brand going? I guess we've done some sponsorships. 
that was one of the other things when we were dealing with our crux. We started sponsoring some events, getting in at a different level. We've been a three-year sponsor with the Sea Otter Classic. And everything's different now because of the world climate and what's going on. But we hope to still maintain some of these relationships with these big events. So we have every plan to, to continue with being sponsored with Sea Otter and those kind of brands. I have actively looked at some pop-up locations in Seattle. So I, I would love to have a shop again, but I'd like to do it where it was more the original vision. You always have to make concessions when you're with the dream scenario and with the actual plan that's on the ground. But So I'd like to see that happen. And I still want to go to events. I think there's nothing better than getting that face-to-face time with your core customers. At the root of it all, we're a hardcore cycling and endurance sports brand with our fingers in a lot of different places. But I would love to still show up at the Hawaiian Ironman in October. And if nothing else, just to mingle with the masses and you know, and see, because people will be wearing t-shirts that we made 10 years ago and they'll be in tatters, but they're, they're favorites. It's your family, Tony. I think at the end of the day, that's your tribe of people, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely want to. I might be that. the only one, but I'd love to see you toe the line out there in October. <laughs> that's just me. I, know. I said the only way I would ever toe a line again is if my kids are one of them. I have one that anything's possible. But if one of them said, I want to do a triathlon or an Ironman or something, I'd be like, all right, I'll train with you. You're back in. <laughs> That's it. Any other reason why I can just not doing it. So been there, done that. <laughs> yes. And you're still doing it, which is incredible. You mentioned other athletes going to coaching when they're done. Not a lot of them have made a hook in something so deep that it's resonated with their former community and this new tribe they developed. Your brand is astonishing. I've loved it since you launched it. My favorite t-shirt, by the way, is Apaniagua, just bread and water. (laughs) I love it. I still have the one you sent me years ago. Super thankful for you to join us and tell us all about Endurance Conspiracy and what you've been doing. Where can people buy t-shirts right now if they're listening? T-shirts are always available at our EC uh, online store, EnduranceConspiracy.com. So you can always go there. In fact, if you Use ECFAN2020, ECFAN20, you get 20% off your order. So I'll even throw that out there as an extra bonus. But that's the best place to get it right now. And when uh, the live events start kicking off in the hopefully near future, we'll see you at the races. Awesome. Well, Tony DeBoom, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was awesome. Yeah, Rob, nice to meet you. And thanks, Kyle. Thank you for the story. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed listening to Tony DeBoom of Endurance Conspiracy and all the things he has to offer. Now, I was being serious. I actually have a number of those shirts, and they are awesome. So go run over to EnduranceConspiracy.com and order yours today. If you have a question for us or want to be a guest on the show, just send us an email to hello at thecruxpodcast.com. And don't forget to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time right here on The Crux. The Crux is a production of The Brand Leader out of Greenville, South Carolina. For more information on the show or to be a guest, visit us at thecruxpodcast.com.